to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. Wow, we are full today. This is awesome. This is exciting. Okay, thank you, band. Great job. All right, so around a decade ago, a story many of you may have heard. The lovely Greg French, who is with us in person next Sunday, our favourite uncle, he made a throwaway statement to me as he left Western Australia after spending a few days with us. And he said, M, you're a hope bearer. Now, to the realist that I was, that at the time seemed like quite an odd word, which for those of you that have received a word from Greg, sometimes sometimes they are a little odd. But what did I do with that word, M, you're a hope bearer? Well, like all good prophecy, I tested it, held it before God, ran it past a few trusted others, and in time felt it imprint upon my heart as a word from God. And this story has continued the last 10 years. Now, what I didn't realise at the time was that in order to be one who bears hope, to be a hope bearer, I needed to actually become more skilled at it. Note here, we can learn and practice hope led by the Holy Spirit. Hope, friends, is not an emotion. It doesn't catch us by surprise. It's not like some of us have a magic gift of hope and others do not. We can learn hope. And so this has been my story of the last 10 years. So in 25 minutes today, I'm going to give you my 10-year hope shape journey. Are you ready? Here comes the fire hydrant. Okay. So firstly, some definitions. What exactly is hope? It's a word we bandy around all the time. Let me give you some general language around the shape of hope. Here's some of my favourite definitions. Hope is a desire of some good accompanied with at least a slight expectation of obtaining it. Biblically, hope is a focus forward. A focus forward with confident expectation of what God has promised. Trip, of course I've got a quote from Paul David Tripp. Hope, I love this. Hope is preaching to yourself every day that what is will not always be. Psychologically, hope, I am clear, hope Hope helps us think and live well. It has well-being agency in psychological terms. Charles Snyder, in his pivotal body of work, Hope Theory, says that hope is a thinking pathway and hope needs goals and strategies and motivation. Now, with all that in mind, yes, hope can be a little bit muddly and a little bit abstract. Hope is complex because it's an idea, a practice, a skill, but when it comes to us as believers, it's actually also a person, which is why I called today's message The Shape of Hope, because there's a creative, abstract nature to hope. It's not altogether understandable or quantifiable. It's well beyond that. So, let's land in the Word of God. Very good place to start. From the Apostle Paul, Romans 15, 13, the oft-quoted hope scripture, often read as a benediction at the closing of services. Romans 15, 13. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul here is reminding us that the source of hope is God, the God of hope. Hope isn't just part of God's attribute, it's who he is. Who is God? Hope. What does he do? Hope. What does he give? Hope. So as we trust in the God of hope, we are filled by Holy Spirit, not only with hope, but Paul tells us here, joy and peace. But the clincher here is where I want to land in the latter part of that scripture is it says that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. That there is a bountiful nature to this hope. It's abounding, some translations would say. It's excessive. It's more than enoughness. It's a hope that is poured in and overflows. Now, when I think of overflowing, this is what I think of. That is the Yeet baby, for those of you that follow them on TikTok. 5.6 million followers they have. That's Uncle Chris and his niece Marley. And their entire Instagram and TikTok account is dedicated to him teaching her how to pour. (laughs) She's now four and has got a younger sibling called Jack. And he is now teaching him how to pour. So if you have nothing better to do this afternoon... That is a vortex that you can get in and then come out of. So what is overflowing out of you? What is overflowing out of you? Because we can overflow, friends, with all sorts of things. Some of them we're not even aware of, right? We can leave a room and a conversation, leaving behind all sorts of puddles of stuff. Bucket loads of them may not be very pretty. We can determine the atmosphere in a room and a conversation by what is coming out of us. We leak stuff. And as believers, God has called us to be, amongst many other things, hope leakers. Because, point number one, hope leaks. If the God of hope wants to fill us with hope, Paul is telling us, he wants there to be an overflow of it, an abounding of it. He wants there to be enough hope, not just for us, but for others. One of the most beautiful things I've learned in my study, and I'm three quarters of the way through my mental health and theology post-grad, I wasn't expecting hope to be the poster child of this study. But as I have studied a number of cases of those suffering with mental ill health, depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, trauma, one of the overarching pathways, one of the overarching themes of my studying is that those that are suffering need hope. Now, take, for example, case study Ben, not this Ben, an Australian adult who began having manic episodes alongside severe and debilitating depression. And in his documented journey, he, Ben, talks extensively about holding on to hope. But get this, I'm going to quote from him. Quote from his case study, rather. 
Ben found he was unable to do this for himself and for some time relying instead on his family and friends to hold hope on his behalf. In Ben's case, and it is with many in ill health sufferers, he had to borrow hope. He had to borrow hope from others because he didn't have the strength to practice his own. Now, whilst this may be an extreme example, what I want you to recognise, each and every one of you, others need to borrow and rely on the hope that we leak. Others can rely and borrow the hope that we leak because there's not just enough hope for us. We are overflowing with it so that it can leak on other people. Friends, this is the glorious, beauty, profound nature of this discipleship community, of building each other up, is you can borrow my hope. The person next to you can borrow your hope. You can come into this community and borrow hope. So when we are weary and dry and without our own water, we can pray together in solidarity and unity. We can live in each other's overflow. So we need to be constantly posturing ourselves, right? To be filled with the God of hope for the sake of others. So that we can be in a community like this. We can be out there in the foyer and say, here, take some of my hope. I have more than enough. Let me leave some hope behind in this room, in this conversation, in this message. Let that be what we leak, friends. Hope has a leaky shape. Let's turn to another hope passage of scripture. Isaiah 40, 31 in the Amplified. But those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for and hope in him, will gain new strength and renew their power. They will lift up their wings and rise up close to God like eagles rising toward the sun. They will run and not become weary They will walk and not grow tired. Those who wait for the Lord, those that hope in the Lord. In fact, various translations of this passage of Scripture interchange waiting and hoping. Because catch this, the Greek word tikva, the Greek word of hoping is actually Waiting. In Hebrew thought, hoping and waiting are bound together. So at the root, friends, of the word and the posture and the concept of hoping is waiting. Did we catch that? They're bound together. They're interchangeable. Hoping and waiting are friends. They're companions. Now, for the better part of the last few months... I'm still very much in a grief season, or as the poet in me says, I'm in my dust days. (laughs) I've got to make it humorous because it's not altogether funny, really. Uh, God hasn't said altogether too much to me, right? Other than two continuing, echoing words. And these two words are, 
wait here. And this is the same instruction that Jesus gives to the disciples in Garden of Gethsemane. We see in Luke 22 as he goes to pray. God has been pressing on my heart in this season, M, wait here. Not apathetically, M, not sulkily, not because you're stuck, but wait here while I tend to you. Because if you are moving too quick, I can't do the work that I want to do in you. So sit the heck down, girl, and let me wash your feet. But we often don't understand waiting. In our culture, we often assume that if you're waiting, it's because you're stuck or because you're on the way to something or something isn't working as efficiently as it should. There shouldn't be prolonged periods of waiting. Alicia Cole would say, ours is a hurried age where waiting is demonised. But God is showing me that waiting is actually the most sacred, holy work right now. So who would have thought, right, that one of the most radical things I could do is to wait? Because, friends, hope waits. Hope waits. The two concepts are utterly interchangeable. We can't hope Quickly, hope is not instantaneous. Hope has a waiting posture. Now, let's understand this. Stay with me theologically for a second. But this waiting and this hoping has both a now and a future essence. Let me say this carefully. The hope shape you have in your heart, that hope ache, that expectation of God is going to do things, that expectation for all to be good, for all to be complete, some of that that you are hoping for and believing for, you cannot experience this side of heaven. God doesn't promise that all his working together for good, you will get to see firsthand. The longing in our hearts for all to be fully well, for all to be fully complete, that has an eschatological shape. What does eschatology mean? It's the Greek word for the last, the furthest, the final. The final completion of God bringing all together, that is a kingdom of heaven shape. So the hope that you have within you for all to be well, some of that will be fulfilled, some of it won't. It has a now and a future element. Some of that hope you are waiting in may be fulfilled in your children or your grandchildren in seven decades' time. Some of it may only be fully fulfilled in the new heaven and the new earth. We cannot have all that fulfilled right now in the here and now. Our fallen world does not make room for it. Do we get that? Revelation 21, 1 to 5 reminds us, haven't quoted Revelation for a while in a breach. Then I saw, it's all right, there's no weird, well, no, anyway, whatever. Not in my notes, stay with it. Okay. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. What will he do? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, in this place, there will be no more death, sorrow, crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Paul says it like this in Romans 8.25. But if we hope for what is still unseen by us, we wait for it with patience and composure. So hoping is waiting. Hope waits. But friends, how we wait is pivotal. The waiting must be done well. It's not like a toddler tantruming. Waiting, fine. I'll wait then. It's not in impatience like me, invariably always picking the wrong cue at the shopping aisle. Does anyone else have a special gift for that? Oh, there's two people over there. There's five people. Clearly, I'll go to the two people aisle. No, because the lady in front of me is counting out silver coins (laughs) from a wallet that she's now lost, (laughs) explaining her entire life story. Anyway, right. Not waiting with a sense of, huh, I'm going to wait, but I'm willing to abort mission at any time. Not waiting in misery or disinterest. Not waiting, but with a sense of, well, I'll just take matters into my own hands and forcing something to happen. Hello, Abraham and Hagar. I said it like this in my last paper. So this is really random, but I was trying to reword my own words. And I thought, I'm just going to quote myself. (laughs) You ready to hear academic M? All right, here we go. Christian hope is both lived and yet delayed. And we can only sample a taste of flourishing on the way to its eschatological fulfillment. Believers need to recognise there is an in-between tension to hope and therefore have tools for endurance and patience in the waiting. Thankfully, the Word of God is full of like-minded individuals who held on to hope by the skin of their teeth. Amen. And if that sounded too naff, here's one of my other favourite hope bearers, John Swinton. Professor, author, minister, mental health nurse, and one of the Queen's 10 chaplains appointed in her final months of life. He says it far more succinctly. Hope is a long story. Hope is a long story. Not a short one. Not an efficient one. Not a tiny one. Hope is a long story. And yes, there will be moments of that expectation being fulfilled along the way. But part of that longing, part of that ache is well out there, friends, in the furthest and the finalist. But what does Isaiah 40 remind us of? Those who wait well. Those who wait well. Those who wait for the Lord, hoping in Him, they will gain new strength patience and endurance and renew their power 
And then they will lift up their wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and grow tired. Those that wait well, they will have their strength renewed to lift, run and walk and continue on in hope's long story. Hope waits. And so a final hope shape I want to land in because it wouldn't be a good end preach without three neat predictable points. One of the greatest perceived wars we are fighting in the church right now is cynicism. Gosh, that was a brutal opening line. Cynicism, by definition, doubt, distrust, suspicion, negativity, fault-finding. Doubt, distrust, suspicion, negativity, fault-finding. And why is there this pervading sense of cynicism, both in the church and outside the church, and particularly for those that are outside the church looking in? Well, there's a number of reasons. One of it is that we simply have, we just know too much these days. So we can test a lot of our theory and knowledge with greater scrutiny. Another, unfortunately, is the devastating number of celebrity pastors that have fallen from grace some through self-sabotage and other less subtle ways, which then breathes within us a sense of distrust. And also because we actually project the past on the future. It happened over there, so it must happen here. So then we go treasure hunting for patterns in the world and people in church and have that sense of, see, I told you so. And so Kerry Newhoff in his book, Didn't See It Coming, overcoming the seven greatest challenges that no one sees and everyone experiences, he begins his entire book on the opening chapter of cynicism. He says it like this. As you grow older, you become more of who you already are. Just like the body stiffens a bit, your personality becomes less flexible. This is encouraging. (laughs) Can I just have one of those? Can I have a flexible body or a flexible? Anyway, it's like there's a war inside you battling for hope. And cynicism will win or it will lose. But you won't be a little bit cynical or a little bit hopeful. The concrete hardens either way. So let me tell you as someone on the front line cynicism is very loud both inside and outside the church. Don't believe me? (laughs) You only need to take a look at a Twitter feed, swing past a university social gathering, be in a room with a group of tired people, and fault-finding and negativity can start to leak into the conversation. But in the same book, as the second part of that opening chapter, Newhoff provides a counter-posture. He says, well, how do you fight cynicism? Or as it's titled, how do you defeat your inner critic and kick cynicism in the teeth? What's his fighting strategy? Hope. Hope, friends, fights. Hope fights. And hope is fighting right now. Because the Barna Group, the leading evangelical Christian polling firm firm who specialise in Christian research and data collection, they collated this at the start of this year. Though religious affiliation and church attendance continues to decline, 
spiritual openness and curiosity are on the rise. Across every generation, their research shows, in fact, we see, get this word, this is where I want to see unprecedented, we see unprecedented desire to grow spiritually, a belief in a spiritual supernatural dimension and a belief in God or a higher power. Cynicism may appear to be loud, friends, but hope is fighting. Because, friends, hope is an effective, proven, robust, oppositional strategy. Let's see this at work in the Scriptures, in a skin-of-his-teeth moment. Over in Psalm 42, David, a psalm of lament. Psalm 42, 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my Saviour and my God. David here calls out his emotion. He identifies his feeling. It's not a soup. It's not minimising. He knows he's downcast. He knows he's within turmoil. God, I'm not all right, he is saying, but he talks to his soul. The turn downcasting is posturing him a negative way, but David goes, insert soul, insert, insert hope here, soul. Hope is his counter move. Hope is the oppositional. Hope fights. Because, friends, hope isn't flippant or floppy or weak. Carrie Newhoff, because biblical hope is anchored in the resurrection, it's resilient. It's proven. It's proven. It's lived out. And so it's the most reliable hope of all. It's not a mustered up feeling or emotion. It's not self-made. It's not counterfeit. So friends, if you're on a bit of a downcast train, a fault-finding one, if you're still languishing in the post-COVID shadow, if you're in a grief dust trial like me, know that you can't fight those beasts with more theory, more knowledge, more control, more ultimatums, more curated arguments or more Google searches. The greatest artillery in your tool belt is hope. Hope fights. So what of this all? As I bring this together, what of all this leaking and waiting and fighting, Em? Let me be really clear as I round this out today. Hope is not a notion. It's a person. Jesus, through his work on the cross, is our living hope, 1 Peter tells us. A hope that is incarnate. It's a hope that has form and texture and being. It's a hope that Christians can experience daily through the gift of the Spirit. Hope for a Christian, therefore, is not a construct. It's a relationship. A relationship that protects us from cynicism and despair. So friends, you don't need to muster up your own hope. The God of hope leaks for you, waits with you and fights for you. Getting your hopes up doesn't look like you curating a series of perfect wellness practices, nor a series of curated motivation tools or great apps. And if I do this all at the right time, then I may feel hope. 
The hope pressure isn't on you, it's on Jesus. And by accepting him and asking Holy Spirit for us to be filled with hope, then we can be strengthened to learn hope, to develop the skill of hope. So Holy Spirit wants to fill you and skill you with hope. Fill you and skill you with hope. Remember, it's a long story. I'm talking as one who has been on a 10-year journey of this. And my bearing of hope has got better and more robust and more strengthened. Ask him to fill you again and again. Keep returning to that hope well. It's not just a fitting benediction at the end of a service. It needs to be on our lips constantly. Hope is one of the greatest tools we have right now, friends. So let's be those who leak hope, who aren't afraid to wait in hope and can fight with hope. Let me pray these words of Paul. Stand with me. Band, if you would come. What do you want to flow with today, friends? What do you want to leak out of you today? What are you leaking as you leave conversations and people and rooms and houses? Let's leak hope. Let's be able to come into an environment where you can say, yeah, here, lean on me. Let me pray with you. Let me converse with you. Let me put my hand on your shoulder. Here, have some of my hope. Right now, you're weary or dry or downtrodden or stigmatised or tired or disempowered. It's okay. Let me leak hope on you. Let me splash hope on you. And feel that fault finding, that negativity rise within you. Pick up your hope sword. Father God, Father God, we declare this over you, you beautiful people. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow, abound more than enoughness with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill us and skill us in the shape of hope. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.